Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cartel Aristocrats. This is Cartel Aristocrats number 150. Uh, as you can tell, because I'm doing the introduction, Jeremy's not here today. He's still uh, on vacation. So we brought back... Centennial or whatever? I don't, know. I don't know what the official terminology is for 150. Uh, it's 150. I mean, yeah, but it's just like 150. It's just a nice round number. Like, it's just a good number. I don't, I don't think that there's a, like, a, a like a name for 150 other than 150. I assume it'd be like half centennial or something like that. I don't know. I guess maybe. I don't know. That's trying too hard. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, as you can tell, uh, we have recurring guest and former host uh, Douglas Johnson here to join us. Uh, Ed and I will be doing our best to bring you as much magic finance knowledge as possible with uh, as few puns as possible because, you know, nobody listens to this for the puns, definitely. So how are you guys doing today? I'm good. I have uh, approximately like a little over 24 hours before I have to fly back out to Denver. So that's that's nice. Where were you this weekend? Detroit. How was Detroit? Uh, I mean, the city of Detroit itself was like better than people think it is. I think our hotel was nice. Like we went downtown, uh, Sunday night and we had some fun. Um, didn't get murdered. No, no loss of blood at all. But like we, we had fun. We, uh, we walked around. Uh, the only downside of Detroit as a GP for me is that it is like the longest, one of the longest GPs that I have to drive to. So oh, you Canada, drove from New York to Detroit? I, I cut through Canada. It's like seven and a half hours. That seems excessive. Actually, yeah. no, now that I think about it, that's how far I like almost how far I have to drive to Atlanta. So I guess that's about right. It's like six six or seven hours to Atlanta from yeah, Orlando. It's, it's like Google Maps tells you seven and then it ends up being seven and a half. Yeah, well, you can't like you have to go through the border crossing twice, so I can right, imagine it, that it, doesn't help. It's it's rough. I mean, this this Detroit was like the fastest I have ever gotten through the border in terms of like interactions with the border patrol. The line going back into uh, into the U.S. was really really long on Sunday, but like actually interacting with the border patrol, getting it back into the country was the quickest I've ever uh, done. Because normally they just grill you coming back into the U.S. If you're going into Canada, they're like, "Oh shit, you're from the U.S. Quick, quick, getting close the door, close the door." But like going back into the into the states, they're like. Who's your mate? Like, who's your mother? Like, where are you going? Where are you staying? Like, how many fingers am I holding up? Like, what format is it? How many sideboard cards did you play? like? Just they they bombard you with questions, but this time they're just like, oh, yep, come on in, it's fine. So that was nice. I'm surprised. Like, even if you have an American passport, they give you a lot of shit. Yes, like last year's Detroit when I was coming back into the states on Thursday night, so before the GP. It was like, where are you going? Detroit. Well, you're in Detroit. Where in Detroit? Uh, the Airbnb. What's your Airbnb address? I don't know, man. Let me pull it up on my phone. See here. Like, who booked it? Uh, my boss. So you're here for work then? Uh, yeah, I, I cut through Canada and I'm staying for like a, a convention thing. Oh, he just 10 minutes of just nonsense. That's, uh, that's excessive. Yes. I, I have only crossed the border one time and they asked me, uh, what my name was, what my birthday was, while they hold, held my passport, and what my job was, and then they like did this, and I went in. Well, yeah, going so, into Canada—that's what they do. No, no, no. I mean, like, I'm saying, like, coming back. No, I don't know. But okay, uh, the GP, the GP was good though. I mean, like, we—it was a good GP numbers-wise. There were very few people playing in the main event. I believe it was approximately 900, is what I was told. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a smaller event. In terms because, of like, main event numbers, but uh, it was good numbers wise. I mean, it was a solid event business wise. I I can't speak for other vendors, but we did fine, and it was it was good. I I've heard that standard is good. I've heard modern is on the upswing after the whole Hogak incident, and commander decks are coming out soon. Magic's great. Magic's always great. Yeah, that's usually true. Like sometimes it's rancid, but you just don't have to play all of it. Some of it is rancid at some point in time. Sure. But, like, that's, uh, the, that's the beauty of the game is, like, if standard is a pile of garbage, you can just go draft for six hours and still enjoy the game. 
that is my plan uh, in September. Whenever yeah. Atlanta, yeah, whenever Atlanta is, probably just gonna play Commander and maybe do some drafts. You can play my, I'll bring my Gonti deck and you can borrow it. I would rather not, but you know, like, I guess I should anyway because uh, the deck's probably more famous than I am. I got a new so, deck box for it. Did you see that? Is it is it uh, a like Ziploc bag and a rubber band? Yes. Oh man, you are you are so good. Do you, do you include like little pieces of paper? Like you should put like coins in there or like the little like you remember the old um, like those beads that used to come with Pokemon card things that uses damage counters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you should put those in there for like tokens and stuff for like yeah. plus one plus one counters and just like. Take out those little beads and put them like on your shirt. Like a granola shirt. bar wrapper. Yeah, well, you can just eat the granola bar and then use the wrapper. Like you should just put the whole granola bar in there, and you have to eat the whole bar in order to make the token. Seems a little excessive, but also like very on theme at on the same brand. time. So, Ed, how was your GP Detroit? Uh, it was, it was uneventful. I was. There for basically the shortest amount of time possible. I, I flew in Friday, left Sunday night. I was there for maybe 60 hours total. Uh, the event was pretty uneventful. It was just absolutely nothing remarkable. There was nothing noteworthy, interesting, exciting. Uh, other than being release first uh, release week of Core 20, there really wasn't much that was worth writing home about. So... That's more or less my analysis on Detroit. So there were no like cards that were moving especially well, no vendors that like up their buy list on anything, nothing that like players were looking for that nobody had. Like I mean the the two breakout cards of the weekend, I believe, were Hex Drinker for Modern and uh Dreadhorde Arcanist for standard and or modern. Or like I don't know what the Dreadhorde Arcanist spiked, but it, it did. Well, it's played in the the feather deck that got like apparently better. I'm not 100% sure. I haven't um seen a whole lot of it, but I have I have heard things that it, it has gotten better and that's one of the cards that it plays. I see. So, um it also see some play in legacy. People are trying to play in like various Delver variants. As, I mean, that makes uh, sense too. Choice. So, yeah, it, it's actually quite powerful in Legacy, especially when all you're trying to flash back is Ponder, Brainstorm, Lightning Bolt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Renin 6 was very popular throughout the weekend. We were buying at 62, selling at 69, and then eventually we upped the sell to uh, 72 or 73, I think, in the booth. Okay. That was just a, a hot card that people were looking for. Modern Horizons cards in general did well. Um, it's like Ed said, there, I don't think there was anything exceptionally remarkable or exciting that came by. There there wasn't like any hundred grand collection being shopped around or any sort of like insane beta power stuff. It was just like a, a regular GP, but it, the numbers were good. So the people that were looking for these newer cards, were they, like I know that Jund apparently is on the up and up in modern. Were people also asking for like Tarmogoyfs and Dark Confidants and stuff like that? Like were, pe uh, I, were people buying like whole decks, or they were just adding the Renin Six to the ones that they already had? I was buying cards. I was not selling cards, so I cannot speak for what people were actively hunting down unless they were trading in. Um, and trade ins are generally just like a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars worth of stuff. So it's generally just like a playset of this or three or four cards of that. So nobody, nobody was doing that in my experience, but the, it is possible. I I do know Jund was. People were talking about Jund being good again. Okay. Um, is there anything coming up in what's what's the is there a Grand Prix this weekend? There is. It, uh, I'm flying to Denver on Thursday, and I assume Ed is too. Yep. Uh, do we know what format that is? I, I don't have it pulled I up. I I didn't even know what format Detroit was until Saturday morning. Uh, it's it's standard for Denver. This will probably be the first. Oh, this is the first chance that we really see standard uh, played um, with Core Twenty. So, if anything is going to move, it may move this weekend. Especially if something new is uh, 
something new changes, but from what we saw at Star City Worcester last weekend, it doesn't really seem like there's too much that's changing up in the format. Okay. Uh, so would you say that if you were on the fence about getting some cards in standard, uh, because the next event is going to be standard, that you should probably just get them now? I think... Like, go ahead. No, I was just saying, because like, there's definitely cards that could go up, and standard is like one of those things where like the a good weekend for a deck can really cause a lot of cards to go into high demand very quickly, especially older cards like stuff from Ixalan could get very expensive. Um, so I was just wondering if you have ex if you think that the, that experience is is going to be true and that it, it could affect a lot of cards this weekend. Uh, I think standard is kind of at the point where no one actually cares. There's little reason to innovate. Uh, you don't like if you're preparing for a Grand Prix, like maybe you can try and go and break standard specifically for this weekend, especially if you came up with something good. But standard is basically at the tail end of its life. No one really cares until September when you combine that with summer dead standard. Um, I don't really see that much going on. This was basically the same as last year. There were obviously some very, very good cars in core 19 that just ultimately didn't matter. Um, because again, everyone. There's no reason to care about standard until yeah. I mean, like Volos and Sarkin didn't go crazy until uh, until we got Shocklands, I believe, right? If my memory serves me right. Yeah, it was like um, the Bolas and Sarkin were the two. Like the Grixis deck was the powerhouse, but that wasn't like a thing until rotation happened and cleared the path for a lot of things. So, I mean, yeah, standard's kind of gross right now. I think. I, I mean, I've never cared much for standard, but oh, I will say that one thing that happened this past gp uh i guess it was more of a trend and i don't know how much you guys have talked about this recently but after cards spike tremendously there's always that like first wave of people trying to sell them to us like people were bringing me like masterpiece painter servants and like grindstones or like non-foils of those cards or just like cards that tremendously spiked and being like hey will you pay me 70 percent of whatever the tcg mid on this is and then getting really surprised when i just said i don't want that card right now um so i think that there's like this expectation that vendors will just always look up whatever the tcg mid is and then pay a certain percentage of that when that's not really the case we we buy dynamically and make decisions based on the same knowledge that you do and so we know that the price of painter servant isn't really fifty dollars so we're not going to give you 35 on it uh so that's why i passed on a lot of painter servants and a lot of masterpiece grindstones and uh people were surprised that i just like wouldn't even give them a number on paradox engine like come on man give me a number i won't be insulted it's like i just i'm not gonna i'm not gonna buy your masterpiece paradox engine dude i'm sorry like i i could say ten dollars then you'd be like okay thanks then you'd walk away and that wastes both of our time so if i say no and then you say okay and walk away that that, that is how the transaction should go yeah i think that's definitely something to be aware of going forward like cards that hard spike like that because of mannings or unbannings or kinds yeah. of things that like stores just don't want to buy for a long time yes. uh which means that buying those cards in particular is not necessarily the best idea because getting rid of them at their peak is pretty difficult like you have yeah, to find uh, unless you are part of that very first wave like hitting checkout five seconds after the unbanning happens number one there's a decent chance your order gets canceled but let's say miraculously you get like eight painter servants in the mail on thursday after the monday unbanning um the correct decision is not to bring them to a gp and spend three days trying to hustle them you should absolutely be listing them on platforms that allow you to sell those cards instantly and lock in the numbers so like putting them on your tcg player store for like 30 when the low is 40 and then somebody's like oh wow painter servant for 25 percent off discount and then they buy it and then you're done you just you cleanse your hands of the transaction and then you are you are locked in. Um, I understand that it feels better to hold on to them and look at them because that feels like you won. Uh, but that sort of emotional attachment to your cards is what is going to have you looking back at them in six months and being like, "Oh man, I wish I had. I wish somebody had bought them when they were forty. Like, just if you if you are lucky enough to get in and buy them immediately or already have them, you want to be the people selling into the hype, uh, not buying into the hype. That's definitely a good thing to to mention. Like. 
a lot of times people will say, you know, leave the last 10% for the next person. Like, even though you don't get as much money selling them right away, or maybe you won't get as much money as you, like, the maximum amount that you could have gotten, you will still get more money than the minimum amount that you would have gotten. Like, it's possible, and I think probable, that Painter Servant goes back to a number very close to what it was before. Maybe yeah, not exactly the same. Are. But, like, I don't think that there's that many people that actually want to own a Painter Servant because they're not very good. Like no, and they're not being bought in four ofs either. They're they're one ofs. Like there's there's a slew of people who play eight and a half tails that now get to throw one in their deck. But like I I don't think that the uh, the competitive crowd who is looking to build painter grindstone uh, is that deep. So and the the crowd of people who is masterpiecing out their painter servant is even smaller. Right, I definitely agree with that. Like, I think the thing that we can look at most recently was Protean Hulk, which is a card that's like, I think much better than Painter's Servant in a vacuum. Like, it's just yes. a stronger card and it could do more degenerate things. And they were like twenty dollars the day after they got on band, and you can buy them now for like four bucks. I mean, Masters Twenty Five did that too, right? Or was that after? Uh. Well, Master like there 25, was a reprint in there at some point. Yeah. I mean, Master 25 was in February of last year, which is when the price was 10 bucks. So like even even before it got reprinted, it wasn't it was half of the price of what it spiked to. Right. So if they were if they went up to 20 and you sold them for 17, you still sold them for more than you would have sold them in the next 6 months. And that's not to say that, like, they're not going to reprint Painter Servant. Like, now that, like, I assume that the the, the unbanning talk happened for a while, and it's even possible that, like, Painter Servant could be in the next Commander deck if they really want to do that. It's unlikely, but it's possible. So you don't really want to be stuck with these cards long-term, especially I mean, if it's I, a card that's, like, that a hype one, thing. By the next, I assume you mean 2020, because I assume the ban list decision was finalized long after the C19 list were finalized. I mean, I don't, I don't know any information, but I don't think that it's unreasonable that there was discussions beforehand before they decided to unban it or whatever. Like, I don't know. But what I'm saying is that it's not an unreasonable expectation to say that, you know, now that it is unbanned, it is a target that could get reprinted, and if it gets reprinted, then you're just, you know, yeah. stuck with a bunch of garbage, yes. I'll say. Uh, Ed, how do you feel about uh, people that buy into, like, recently banned or unbanned cards? Uh, so I'm... So I actually am okay making an offer on cards, right? If someone comes up and tries and sells their master, Masterpiece Paradox Engine, that was the example that we used here. Um, I'm okay making a stab at it. You know, it's one of those things where you just you just be straightforward and honest with them, like, that my number's not going to be good. Do you want a bad number or do you want no number? It's a relatively painless transaction. You know you can just give them some horrendously low number, and it's one of those things that they can choose to take it or not. Um Right. For example, I'm okay saying I'll give you $25 on Masterpiece Paradox Engine, uh, um, and and just letting it go from there. If they say no, whatever, you're out five seconds of interaction. I think they have to understand that, you know, it's everyone's looking to sell it right now. No one's really looking to buy it. You're basically going to get a bad number. Um, same thing for cards that have recently spiked. Uh, my interaction with people who are trying to sell. Painter Servant or Grindstones, for example, would be how much do you want for your card? Uh, if it's clear that they had, they're trying to capitalize on it. If you can somehow squeeze a number out of them, um, I think sometimes you can make it happen. There are plenty of people that are happy to take um, uh, a, a, a small profit and move on. Uh, there was someone that brought a bunch of Dreadhorde uh, Arcanists up to us this weekend. He said that was his spec from week one. Uh, he's been holding out to a while because this was his, um, this was the local GP to him. Uh, and, you know, we offered a price and he said, that seems fair. It wasn't a ridiculous price, obviously, because of, uh, the card had spiked, but uh, it was fair. He was happy to take it. Um, and we picked up a bunch of cards that are relatively liquid as a result. 
Um, So, like, again, I don't think it hurts. I think the people that are, if they come in with expectation that they're getting max value, right, if they say, I want 70% of whatever the lowest copy is right now, then I'll just say, that's more than what I'm willing to pay. Thanks for your time. And and we just move on. Um, and, you know, those are the type of people that they'll be stuck carrying around their cars for the rest of the day. But if they say, you know, I bought, you know, I bought these Dread Horse Alchemists for like 50 cents. And, you know, I like, I think we offered like four or something on them. And then he was more than happy. We had a transaction that was successful. Uh, good times for all parties around. So that's how I would approach it. Um, uh, some people are easier to work with than others. That's just the reality the situation. Very true. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, my default here is what do you want for your cards? Um, because it's it's very clear that anyone who's bringing you those cards is obviously trying to capitalize in one form or another. It's easier to deal with the reasonable people than uh, than not. I feel and like those it, people just never answer that question, though. In, in my experience, they're always just like, well, what's your number? We'll make me an op. And then this back and forth that wastes a minute and a half of my time. And just... Right. So so my, my interaction is that is like, you can give me a number that makes you happy or I can say no, right? Like it's one of these two, it's one of these two outcomes. That's why I usually try and put the onus on them. Same reason why if someone brings an ogre box, I'm generally willing to like slightly overpay on cards because someone already did the work for me and likely they have the whole box sorted. Um, so like by, by like, like by putting it on them, you're more likely to get an interaction that works out rather than just say, what's your number? And then, it, because if, if he's shopping around, basically no matter what you say, he's going to like to keep shopping anyways. Even if your number is like 70 on red and six, he's probably gonna say, okay, I'm gonna keep checking. So um, that's basically my interaction with people. I, again, I, I'm kind of sympathetic with you, Doug. I don't like my time being wasted. So that's why I try and keep the interaction as short as possible. Yeah, that's definitely important stuff to to think about. Um, you know how 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 easy you make it for a vendor. Like we're all people here. If I make your job easier, then you know it makes it easier for me to get the things that I want, the money that I want. Um, but that's definitely a an important thing about like I don't want to say grand prix etiquette, but that feels like the best way to describe it is like make sure that your stuff. Make sure you know what you want going in there so that you don't waste a bunch of people's times. Because, like, when you, when I go to a Grand Prix, it's not my job, right? I'm not there to... Oh, no. no, I'm just saying, like, in general, like, people that go to Grand Prix to enjoy the event are not there as their job. Every minute of their time is not worth as much money. It is not as important to them as it is to you. So you save... You know, if I could do the work and save you the time and you know, have everything set up and ready to go, then everyone's just much happier. If I don't do that, then you just get frustrated and, and you know, I don't get any money, which is worse than just getting some, right? Like, ideally, you're, buy you're trying to go here to sell these cars. Ideally, you don't leave with them because that just means that you have to sell them somewhere else. You have to do more work. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a bit of a generalization, but Magic players tend to be less than great at valuing their own time. Um, I am not saying that I value my time more than other people, but like, uh, it, it's definitely, uh, an exercise in frustration when you deal with somebody who is spending 30 minutes shopping at each vendor, trying to get the best, the extra $4 for their six hours of work. Um, and I, I do my part to try to educate people and like teach them the best way to like if maximize their own time efficiency because like they they are there for entertainment and i mean it works out better for all parties involved if they spend some small amount of time in preparation uh in order to maximize their own vacation time yep that's definitely very true um like, so are there any other like entire four rows of sleeved cards oh god sleeve cards please please de-sleeve your cards before you bring them to vendors they're just gonna make you do it when you get there there's just, there's just no point. Just don't like, unless it's like something that is very expensive and could get damaged. Like you probably want to walk around with like a Lotus in a sleeve. I think that's not that big a deal, but like don't have your box of lava spikes in sleeves. You're just, you're just asking for trouble. Uh, so are there any other topics that you guys want to talk about? Anything going on in the community? Any thoughts about, what sets are coming up or how, how you're approaching your time. I mean, I think this is uh, 
a last call warning for commander staples, selling them at their high before a significant portion of them get uh, hit with reprints. And I mean, it's also a last call warning to get ready to buy a bunch of commander staples after they get hit with reprints. So like you will notice the week of commander 2019, a lot of stores are racing to the bottom on TCG player with their soul rings, with their command towers, with their commander spheres, with their elemental bonds, with their pawn of Ulamogs, with their uh, right of the raging storm, whatever card happens to get thrown into these decks. Um, now is the time you want to be outing and buy listing those cards because it's, been at least 11 months before they've been reprinted since they've been reprinted um and then you're going to have a great opportunity to pick up cheaper cars so i mean if you are building that that new kalia deck um the i don't even know what a zenith seeker i think is that right kalia zenith seeker i don't know but uh, if you're building that deck and you're like, man, I still need one more Command Tower, one more Commander Sphere, one more all of these, now is not the time to go on TSCG Direct and fill out that cart and hit buy because you're spending three on a Command Tower, five-ish on a Soul Ring, and all of these, uh, they're definitely at their worst possible time to buy. And I say that as a self-immolating uh, gesture because I have a lot of those cards on my TCG score right now, and I am happily selling them, being like, I shouldn't be getting these numbers on these cards. This is ridiculous. Why am I getting like five dollars on Windfall when this could easily be in the next commander? Like it's just uh one of those things. No, I definitely agree. And like just from my experience personally, um, there are gonna be a lot of singles, especially new singles in these commander decks that are gonna be good. Um, cards that people like frequently undervalue are the artifacts and the lands and the in the new like the new artifacts and lands, I'm saying. Yes, uh, Path so, of Ancestry going from like one dollar to seven dollars is a good example of that yeah path well even in the same the same uh set it's the uh the artifact that you choose a creature type and then you reveal Horn. yeah harold's horn is also in that and when i saw those decks previewed i was like yeah i'm just gonna buy like 30 copies of each of them because they just look insane in every deck forever and ever and uh i should probably go and sell them because i didn't realize path of ancestry was like seven dollars now i should probably get rid of those I mean that but, one. That one's interesting in that it's harder to reprint because it says creature type. Harder, like I mean, I don't think it's that hard. Like unless they specifically revisit tribal again immediately in a commander product. Thing. I don't think that it's unreasonable for them to just put in it. Like, I don't think that it's unreasonable to have one tribal deck and the other ones not to be tribal. I think that they will try to reinvent the wheel if they do that. They will print some other wacky land akin to like. Opal Palace being uh, the precedent to like whatever Forge of Heroes or whatever. Like they just. Yeah, they usually put like a new one in, but like Opal Palace has gotten printed a couple of times, right? It's in 13, 16, 17. So like, I don't think it's yeah, unreasonable. It was 13, 16, 17, meaning there was like a three year gap. Yeah, 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 for sure. What I'm saying is like, it, it could. It could get reprinted again, so I should just get rid of them while I can. Because if it is reprinted again, I mean, it's it's in another tribal deck, and I don't have to worry about like you're going to keep the one that you have from that deck. Yeah. Ed, is there anything else you you have to add about Commander products? Uh, I don't think so. I think this is. I, I think you guys more or less hit the point on the head. Um, People always race to the bottom of product that gets reprinted. I think there's a, definitely a few sweet cards um, that uh, are probably overdue for reprints. It's unknown whether or not they actually will be reprinted, obviously. Um, but if they do, a lot of the cards are propped up heavily by the fact that they haven't been um, available for quite some time. Uh, some of those cards I've been aggressively trying to sell on TCG Player, basically just repricing so that I'm always the lowest... Um, I'm always the cheapest seller, the ones I want to get rid of, again, because some of them are there due to scarcity. Um, example would be, like, Propaganda. Um, yeah, that's 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 a crazy one. Yeah, like, that one is one of those, like, people know about it, people know that it's played in Commander. It's a, it's a very, very popular blue card. It's relatively high up on EDH rec. Um, I think most, I think, like, most of them, except for Tempest variants, are hovering around, like, $8, $9.00. And that's largely due to the fact that the last time it was reprinted was in 16. Yeah, C16. So it's been like a good two years, and that and that card rebounded 
pretty quickly after it uh, after it came out. Mainly, again, just due to how many people play it. Um, it's a type of card that if you have a blue deck, it's a relatively low effort edition that does well. So if you have more than one blue deck, you have you could easily be owning more than one copy. And this isn't the type of card that recirculates very well because most people know it's better than bulk. So you don't generally don't see it yeah. in in like bulk picks anymore. Um, and I mean, that's that's also a good point that sort of carries over from when we were talking about Painter Servant. Because uh, you just said it's propaganda, it's commander, people want more than one. And there's a difference between propaganda being like a commander playset needing like four or five and Painter Servant being a very specific card that you probably only want one of if you even have a deck that wants it. So like cyclonic rift is just oh every blue deck needs this ever propaganda is like most blue decks can use this in some fashion whereas like painter servant grindstone is maybe if you're a competitive brea deck maybe or some eight and a half tails deck or like a blind seer deck i get like it's it's much more niche so there is a commander is a one of format but it is a one of format where it has niche cards and then it has like more ubiquitous cards I definitely agree with that. I think that like a lot of people underestimate how multi-deck staples influence the price of things. Like that's why I think that people buying grindstones in and painter servants are just silly because yeah, who, who are you going to sell those to? Who? How many people actually want them? Yeah, um, I, I want to be the guy who buys eighty-five copies of Lightning Greaves when it becomes three dollars and then checks back in eight months and they're six again. Yeah, it, well. I don't know if you'll get them for three dollars, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that like you but need like, to maybe not this year, but you that has been a thing, right? No, I agree. I agree. Uh, I just there's just like a card like Lightning Greaves is a card I never have to buy because I drafted original Mirrodin for like ever and ever and ever, so I have like eighty copies of it eventually somewhere in my house. Like that's just like one that I just like never think about because I own so many of them. Um, but there are cards that like. I keep having to buy because I'm stupid and don't have enough of them. Like, like, like the Reclamation Sages and the Blasphemous Axe, right? Like the Yeah, well, Blasphemous Axe for sure is one that I just like never have enough of. But even just like things like Shocklands, like you can run through those very quickly, which is why they were not that cheap before they went back into standard. And that's why while they're in standard, they're also not that cheap despite being reprinted. Like there's just people need a whole lot of them and it's just going to continue to stay like that. But yeah, that like stuff like that, stuff like Soul Ring and and Signets and uh, just dual lands in general are pretty are pretty important um, stuff that works in more than one deck with the same kind of strategy. So cards like tribal cards that are artifacts or lands, yeah. especially if are cards. Pick a creature type; it's probably good. There are exceptions where it is probably just bad, like the core set one, whatever the core set tribal artifact is this set where it's three mana and then you pay three and tap it to do a dumb thing. Um, that card's bad just because it's a way, way, way worse Herald's Ward. Um, but in general, if it gives you a reasonable rate like Vanquisher's Banner or Path of Ancestry, like it is Door of Destinies, it, it is worth looking at and picking up at a low. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And even some of like the older art like cards that used to be um, pretty good in this style of, or or these style of decks uh, are are just like not particularly exciting anymore. Cards like um, Coat of Arms, like that used to be like in every single tribal deck ever, but tribal decks now are less about going wide all the time. And and sometimes like Dragon Tribal doesn't want Coat of Arms, for example. I mean, it, it tribal decks also became like ubiquitous enough thanks to the last. Uh, 17 decks that like coat of arms can kill you yeah it is all people so like when you're playing your merfolk tribal commander deck and then they play a bunch of cats and that's bad that's bad oh yeah i forgot it's it's because it affects everybody i was like what are you talking about it can kill you uh, yeah you can kill someone if you have enough things oh right it also Buffs all your opponent's stuff, so like they could also kill you. Now I, I got what you're saying now. I also think that like, well, this is a bit of a rabbit hole, but like I think Code of Arms specifically has decreased in play a lot because the math just gets really, really awful at four player games because it counts every person's creature types 
for every player. So it's like, oh, I have, I'm playing Warrior Tribal. Okay, you also have three warriors and you have a random warrior over there. And I'm on, I have a couple human shamans. So now we're counting humans, even though nobody is playing tribal humans, but there's a lot of humans on the board. So like, Coat of Arms is just, the math is awful. I don't, I don't, I think a lot of people have just taken out of their decks because of that. You know, I hadn't thought about that because I haven't played with Coat of Arms in basically forever. But that was just like the go-to card of like, this is a tribal card that kind of fell out of favor. And I think that you might be onto something because uh, math is usually for blockers. But like in this case, you might be the blocker and then that would just suck if you're playing that card. So I definitely I definitely see that as like something that could be an issue and why it's not as When Vanquisher's Banner costs the same amount of mana, usually kills them in the same amount of time and also draws you cards. Yeah, I think that, like, the difference between Icon of Ancestry, which is the one from M20, and Vanquisher's Banner is, like, you pay two extra mana for the banner, but you don't have to pay any more mana ever again, whereas yeah. Icon of Ancestry is, like, like... It's just... Yeah, same thing. Same thing. It, like, it just you just pay the mana early, and then you just you don't have any continuing upkeep, which is... I think it that is, you should like look about it look at the reason that the uh, goblin bombardment is good and whatever the crappy one that was in M15 is bad. Yes. Like it's one mana to play it, but it's one mana per activation, and that is awful. Generally speaking, yes. Uh, no mana is better than one mana in most cases, so that that is generally how cards work. So anyway, uh I think that the the summary of this segment would can be you know sell your commander staples uh, before they get reprinted and don't get caught with your pants down and then make sure that whatever money you do get from selling them that you can like probably on release weekend just go in and go buy them again like if you're like oh man I need some more soul rings for these commander decks then just like wait till the release weekend and buy a bunch of soul rings for cheap. Yes. All I right. agree with all of the above. I have a pick of the week, and then I have to get out of here. Fantastic. Let's do pick of uh, the week. I am going to copy-paste my brainstorm brewery pick of the week because I jumped onto this podcast at the very last second. Okay. Uh, Sargon Fireblood is very cheap right now. It is like $5, and it hasn't rotated yet. That card is um, very good. It is very good. It says plus one, dragon, dragon, casual, dragon, mana, mana, dragon. I don't even know what it's... Oh, the other one loots, right? It disc you discard and draw cards, so card draw yeah. is great. Um, And then it makes a bunch of dragons for its ultimate, right? I'm guessing, but it probably just makes dragons. Uh, It makes five, four or five, five dragons. Man, you're just dragons, like, great. Dragon, dragon. Um, so Sark and Fire, Blood, Fire Speaker, Fire Blood, whatever. The M19 one uh, was $20 in standard because it Curved into Deco Boss really well. Um, but it's a mythic three mana planeswalker from a barely opened core set that has the word dragon written on it like eight times. So I'm on board at five dollars. Yeah, and uh just to remind everyone this one's a mythic rare, not the rare one from Yes, the, the interesting fact the planeswalker deck Sarkun from M19 is worth a lot more than that one. The dragon soul? What I don't know, the six yeah. mana dirtle one in the intro deck. Ed probably you are correct. About. It is it is more expensive. A lot more fairly expensive because they weren't open in large quantities, and basically the only reason people ever want that card is for the commander itself. Um, so no surprise that they're expensive. Uh, if you actually look on TCG Player, a lot of a lot of planeswalkers are actually not that far off from the cost of the um, the actual deck itself. Uh, one thing you can do is if you find stores that overordered. Um, you can, and they want to like discount the product at like forty percent off or something. You can actually do okay for yourself if you find them. Um, like if you go back and try and find like Aether Volt theme decks on discount, like that Johnny is actually worth a reasonable amount. Like this. Oh is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. This is just a generally true statement for most of these. Again, oh, yeah. I I love buying precons. I precons are like when you find them at the right price and do the EV calculation, they're one of the safest, most effective things to buy in this game because they're just guaranteed. What you like, you there, you get to do the math and be like, Oh, these are the cards I'm buying, and then you buy them. Uh, and they're often underpriced compared to the value of the total singles inside the product because people don't look at them that as often. So, like, you could look at the, the Blood Braid Elf Plane Chase deck, whatever it was, 
and it's got a lot of stuff in it. And you could go on eBay for like two months and be like, oh, the total of these buy lists is $20. Buy this deck for 15 Like that was a thing for several decks. I did the same with like the the Torment Chainer's Edict deck because that was a thing. It was like the, the cardboard deck that had two Chainer's Edicts and a River of Tears or a Tainted Isle. Tainted Isle. Had that, but I found them on eBay for like eight bucks. Um, when Chainer's Edict was eight dollars by itself. Uh, the modern event deck, uh, the the red white commander deck that had the dumb giants. There, there's yeah. a lot of pre-constructed decks that just are hidden gems that are guaranteed value because you don't have to gamble on them. Yeah, I also read the Sarkin and I figured out why it's like eleven dollars. Uh, if you have a doubling season and play ultimates in search of your library for all of your dragons, it puts them on the battlefield. So. That's a thing you could do with it. Magical Are there like three there. Sarkins that have that ultimate? Uh, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of Sarkins that just say, like, put the dragons in the deck into play. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. There are two of them that have that. Sarkin on Broken and Sarkon Dragon Soul. Okay. So that's all more the, than all, one. All the other Sarkons don't do that. But... Uh, this one survives if you have a doubling season and ults, and it actually gets there a little bit faster if you don't have doubling season. So it might not be actual 100% awful. Uh, anyway, uh, Ed, what's your pick of the week? Uh, should we let Doug sign off, or is he, or do you have a few minutes, Doug? Uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta get going. So. All right. Let, let Doug sign off, and then Jim, well, you and I will close this out. Sure. Uh, yeah, I got some pluggables. Uh, my name is Douglas Johnson. Uh, I helped build this podcast back in the heyday. Uh, you can call me DJ. You can find me on Twitter at Rose of Thorns. Uh, the second O is a zero. Uh, you can find me at most North American GPs under the 95 MPG banner buying magic cards. Uh, you can find me in upstate New York also buying magic cards. You can find me on TCG Player as Card Garden. Uh, and I am on the Brainstorm Brewery podcast, which comes out every Friday or Thursday to Patreons. Uh, we have a similar MTG finance feel, but with a little bit more trash talking each other and a little bit uh, more uh, banter, I guess, and off-topicness and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Jim and Ed, for having me on. I was I, I was the Jeremy replacement, but I didn't make a single pun. So We appreciate it. Well done. Well done. I failed or succeeded in that regard, depending on your position in that area. But uh, yeah, have a good night, you guys. All right. Thanks for coming on, Doug. All right, Ed, what's your pick of the week? Uh, I think as a general policy, I'm just going to lump a few together. They're all kind of in the same. uh, They all kind of fall in their same umbrella. Uh, Cars aren't standard right now. They'll probably be very good once standard rotates. Uh, so I'm just looking at Ravnica Allegiance. I think Ravnica Allegiance, a lot of the cards are horrendously underpriced. Uh, it came out at a kind of awkward time. This, the winter sets are not always the most popular. Um, Rivals of Ixalan also had kind of the same thing, and a lot of the Rivals of Ixalan's cards at one point or another over the course of their lifetime had popped in price. So I think Ravnica Allegiance is underpriced right now. I think there's quite a few cards that will do well. Um Obviously, everyone knows about the Shocklands. Everyone knows about Hydra Crisis, but there's a lot of hidden gems in there that have that were very expensive when this set first came out and have kind of fallen by the wayside. Uh, Biogenic Ooze started out like ten dollars. That card's down to three. Uh, Kaya started out basically nothing, and then it kind of surged up in price with the presence of all the Esper decks. And now it's back below five dollars. Prime Speaker Vanifar was a uh, a huge loser. I think that one started out close to. $20. I think it was like $16 during the course of release weekend, and now it's basically nothing. I want to say it's like sub $3 even. Um, uh, Seraphos Scales was another big one. It started out, I think, like about $8 to $10. It's probably about half that price now. I want to say if we buy it for like $3, $2, something, it's probably around 4 the 4 or $5 range. And then Scrogan Hellkite was a card that I think had a lot of hype for it. And then once people realized it was in the uh, guild kit, the Gruel guild kit, uh, that card tanked as well. That card's like below $2, which is insane to me. Um, as just, it just has a mythic dragon. It has the potential to be very powerful. Um, I think like these, basically this kind of subset of mythics from Ravnica Allegiance, I think if any one of them do find their home in standard at some point next year, uh, these cards will certainly explode in price. Um, I think if, as a standard player, you don't already own like 
two to four, depending on the card. Uh, I would say just buy them now. It's not unreasonable to think that um, something like Biogenic Ooze or uh, Scargan Hellkite could go up to like six to eight dollars again. Or Kaius, he's playing like a new build of Esper once um, once a fall set comes out, this card goes back to above ten dollars. These are all very plausible opportunities that I think if you want to play standard, I would buy them now. They're not going to get cheaper than they are right now. And if you want, if you want to go deep, throwing like a hundred bucks at each copies of these, I think I named was it one, two, I named like five different cards. Throwing like fifty dollars at each, you can get a small handful of them, and that that'll cost you uh, like two hundred and fifty dollars, and you should have like kind of a decent spec box going into fall. Um, so to me, like these all make sense. I think there's a few other cards, a few rares that you can kind of gamble on as well. Uh, there's like Incubation, Druid, um, Bedevil. These are like all kind of cheaper cards that you can go deep on, but I think the Mythics are where you want to be if you are looking for a huge, a huge, a huge risk, like big payoff reward come September or something. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think that those are pretty solid picks. Um, in a similar vein, I think that there's a lot of cards in uh, War of the Spark that are quite inexpensive and probably shouldn't be as cheap as they are and you could also kind of do the same thing so a lot of the rare planeswalkers in this set are like a dollar or less with the exception of i think uh it's karn nissa teferi and ugin and when standard rotates there's going to be so many cards leaving standard that like you're going to have to find a lot of more a lot more role players especially in those slots so Cards like uh, Vivian, Champion of the Wilds, and Domri, Anarch of Bolas, like all the really like low mana cost ones, and even some of the more expensive ones like Sarkon the Masterless end up being a lot more, um, a lot more impactful. Yeah, I was gonna say attractive. Like they're more attractive to play in your decks because people are not playing as many. Like a lot of the mono red stuff rotates. Like uh, the one mana, one two. Like I don't, I don't remember the name of these cards. Uh, the uh, Goblin Chain Whirler is leaving. Like all the really ag aggressive cards are leaving. Uh, a lot of the decks that exist right now are going to lose a lot. And uh, unless we have dual lands in the next set, uh, it's going to be a little bit difficult to continue to play these three color mana bases. Or even like decks that have cards in in the sets that are not rotating could get a lot worse. Like. The Elementals deck is probably not going to be as good if it doesn't have the ability to run all the shocks and all the checks. Like if you were in shocks and temples, then like your mana is a lot slower and like stuff like Omnath and uh, Risen Reef and all the stuff that goes there just might not be as good as it is now. And you might want to play less colors and more, more impactful cards. So I think that a lot of the Planeswalkers, especially in War of the Spark, are... A good rate or above their their rate like even liliana is pretty inexpensive it's only like 10 to 12 dollars now i think and i think that that card that's another card that like if enough of it's of, of the things that are keeping it out of standard like if the elementals deck for example gets worse that card gets better because one of the worst things about it is that you can't really grind through all of the elemental value but if the elementals deck's too slow because it loses to the new aggro decks or whatever then you have a you have a possibility that, that that makes a resurgence. Also, cards like Teferi Hero of Dominaria is leaving, and like your top end for an Esper deck just doesn't exist anymore. So this might be the card that people want to go to. So I think that uh, looking at look at the Planeswalkers that you could see yourself playing for more of the Spark card. Like I know everyone kind of has like their own like you know like oh I like to play the red green beatdown decks or I like to play the blue white control decks or whatever. Like you know what kinds of cards you would like to play. If there's cards in this set that you would like to play, you should buy them. Especially if they're Planeswalkers. I think I think that's like an important thing to note. Like with our pick of the week, we're not necessarily saying like, hey, this is a good spec. A lot of the time, like a lot of my picks are very standard oriented. I don't think any of the cards that I mentioned are necessarily good enough to be, you know, modern staples. Same with a lot of Planeswalkers you had mentioned. A lot of them are just good cards that will be in standard that will it, it's a very, very high likelihood that some number of the cards that we mentioned will be players in standard in the year to come. Um, it's just a matter of you want to buy them now when supply has basically peaked and without them seeing play right now because they're 
oppressed in some way in standard due to like mono red or mono blue these hyper aggressive decks are trying to keep some of these slower mid-range strategies out of the way um them not seeing play means the price is bombed out but it's likely that again some number of these will rebound in the future and if you have any intention of playing standard in the second half of this year it's not a relatively high opportunity cost to just buy the two to four planeswalkers um or two to four of each planeswalker that you may think might be reasonable and just get out of the way now as opposed to paying a premium on them in like September when they do become good. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, I think even some of these Planeswalker cards are things that like people can play in Commander and it's not unreasonable that they just like don't lose a whole lot of value even when they get closer to rotation. Um, because Planeswalker cards in general have like a floor at what they could be worth. Because they're rares and uncommons, like clearly there are more copies of them that exist than when they're mythic rares. But some of them have such unique abilities that people might just play them for their passive ability than more than anything else, which is the reason why people play uh, Narset and uh, Karn a lot of the time is because of their their uh, static abilities, not because they're like activated abilities necessarily very exciting. Like I think that the the Jace, for example, is like the kind of card that we're going to look at and like like a couple of years and be like man why is this like ten dollars because it's just another laboratory maniac right i totally agree i think they certainly kind of opened themselves up for kind of newer more interesting design space by making them basically a, a harder to remove enchantment uh so I think that, like like you said, just that ability alone certainly gives them a bit more value than just objectively looking and saying, oh, well, it costs this much mana, it has this much loyalty, we've seen this activated ability before, it's worse than previous Planeswalker that had said ability. Um, it, it's more than that. Again, the value of having, like Darset, for example, uh, obviously, like, she's very powerful, it's no secret. Like, no one is actively looking to go, like, minus two, minus two, and trying to maximize value there. People are trying to lock their opponents out of the game by not allowing them to draw more than one card. So that's... Um, I think your analysis on the Planeswalker is very, very good. All right, and with that, let's wrap up the cast. Um, where can we find you, Ed? Uh, my name is Edwin. You guys can find me on Twitter at Edwin13. I will be in Denver this weekend behind the Tales of Adventure booth, and then I will be in... Uh, Barcelona to round out this month, the week after that. Awesome. My name is Jim Casal. You can find me at Twitter at PHROST underscore. Uh, I'm currently floating the plan of going to Magic Fest Atlanta, so you might be able to find me there. And as always, you can find me on this lovely podcast. So if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, give us a follow on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. And uh, check out our sponsor, coolstuffinc.com. All right, uh, have a good night.